everybody. Welcome to Movie Mavens, a podcast about movies hosted by me, Carson Green. And me, Annie Janes. And on this podcast, Annie and I, we like to do what <laughs> we like to do what we like to call a spicy <laughs> double feature. <laughs> we like to do what we like, period. Yeah, period, period. <laughs> but the spicy double feature is usually related in like genre or director main actor we've even done a couple of episodes where we had the same title this week we are doing sort of like a paul thomas anderson spicy double feature but also there's so many things like la there is so many things we should like lightning round them all yes okay paul thomas anderson hollywood the uh early 60s or or 70s mid 70s yes yeah late 60s mid 70s what else yeah Uh, i think that's it actually feet like minor like weird racism yes weird racism Uh uh-huh actors Um, oh people main characters being actors all of them yes they're all actors also like being on set and yeah. inside it's like movies meta. about movies in a way yeah. and uh two of them are hangout movies not all three but yeah a lot this of is this is spicy spicy or <laughs> we watched licorice pizza we also watched boogie nights and once upon a time in hollywood so we're gonna we're gonna be talking about those but before we jump into it, Annie, I want to tell you about a movie that I watched recently. Yes. It's called Old. By M. Night Shyamalan? That's the very one. <laughs> Is it streaming before you tell me about it? No, it's not. I rented it. Which, like, I don't know if I'm embarrassed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> How much was it? I don't know. Three bucks, maybe. Oh, okay. $4. That's not bad. Yeah. But it was, uh, okay, to set it up, old is about a beach that makes you old. (laughs) Are you surprised? I, okay, I, first of all, am an M. Night fan. And I think that that can be a controversial opinion. Like in the film community, I think a lot of people think he's corny, which he is. But I, uh, I, I like his ideas, and I like, I like his direction. I'm not necessarily like a huge fan of his writing because, like I mentioned, it's kind of corny. But I, I had a really good time watching this movie. It was, it was bizarre. <laughs> M Night is so fun because. You when you when you sit down to watch an M Night movie, I feel like you generally know what you're getting into, except you have no idea how good or bad it will be. So like you know mm-hmm. you're getting into like a, either a wild premise or a seemingly normal premise with an insane twist. Like when I sit down to watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, I still really don't know what I'm about to experience. Mm-hmm. But with M Night, you know it's just you don't know how good or bad it's going to be, which I think makes it fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a really fun movie to watch. There were some, I, I honestly, I don't even know how much of like a horror I would call it. It was definitely more of like a psychological thriller. Mm. 
but it was it was really well thought out and it it like it kind of covered all of the holes which i really appreciate yeah like you know even if it was just sort of like through a single line or like a throwaway line but it i i feel like it just it was tight which is not always expected from Mm -hmm. m night where would you rank this like among the like what would the next best m night be and the next worst m night be on either side of old Ooh, okay. The next best would be The Village, which I like. A lot of people don't like that movie. Um, and the next worst would be The Visit. <laughs> I still have haven't seen, seen that. that I still haven't seen that one, but I heard it's like not terrible. It's it's kind of boring, honestly. Really? Okay, I need to yeah. see that one. I have seen The Village. I don't really remember how I feel about it. I think I remember thinking it was cheesy. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, but he, he it's is fun. cheesy. I I really like the twist in the village. Me too. I like. I just love watching a movie expecting a twist twist too, but not knowing what it's gonna be. Okay, well, I soft recommend old if you are a fan of M Night. If you don't like him, don't spend three dollars on it. <laughs> you heard it here first. All right. Well, oh, you know what? Actually, I do want to tell you something else. I, okay, on last week's episode, maybe two weeks ago, you recommended How To with John Wilson. Yes. And you have told me about that show a couple of times. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe one day I'll watch it. Okay, I went to go watch it, and I had already watched it. (laughs) So it didn't leave that strong of an impression on you, did it? (laughs) But I watched, so I finished the first season, and then I watched the second season, and I really liked it. I I think that, like, um, your, the way that you set it up in that it's less about what it's about and more about, like, the conversations that he has and, and like, the, uh, the uh, situations he finds himself in. Yeah. I thought that was... Yeah, he's he's not afraid to have a conversation, which is refreshing. (laughs) He seems very confident for being such like a kind of interesting, like unusual person. Do you ever think that? Yes. Yes. Also, the the sheer number of like things he's been through that are insane, like the acapella group that ended up having an event run by the Nexium leader, (laughs) and the fact that he like still has all of his old like shirts and. Uh, videos from being in acapella just all that stuff is wild i really liked when he took the bag of chips that he (laughs) wanted to explode he took it in a helicopter and just whenever i saw that it was like it was like 20 second clip that he probably paid two hundred dollars to go up in that helicopter and then like the logistics of all of that like finding the helicopter doing booking that doing that i just i appreciate yeah i appreciate the dedication i appreciate the links i am i'm gonna recommend that show now yeah everyone should go watch it it's on hbo max i agree it's very funny i think anyone could get a kick out of it too yeah i would agree Let's jump into the spicy feature. I guess it's a triple feature. Yeah. Let's let's talk about licorice pizza first. Would you hit me with some 
facts? Yes, Licorice Pizza came out November of 2021. I think it's still in theaters for me at least. Um, it was written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It's starring Alana Haim. Is that how you say that name slash band? Yes, I I think so. Or Haim. See, I've never said it out loud. Cooper Hoffman, Sean Penn, and Bradley Cooper. It has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, and here is the description from IMDb. The story of Alana Haim and Gary Valentine growing up, running around, and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley, 1973. So this is Paul Thomas Anderson's take on a hangout film set in a place in time where he probably was and was probably the same age is my guess uh, or younger. I don't know. Tell me Carson, what did you think of this movie? You know, I had a lot of fun watching it. However, and this is a big, however, it did not really leave any sort of lasting impression on me. <laughs> I did not walk away from it with any strong opinions. <laughs> That's so accurate. Oh my god! I yeah, I felt nothing. Yeah, like I I I feel like he set us up to sort of have a strong opinion, and I think that definitely like film Twitter has certainly ripped this thing to shreds. But I like it was cinematically beautiful. I really enjoyed everyone's performance, especially Hoffman which is Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. I thought that he gave a standout performance. It unsuccessfully made me feel anything towards the character's development, their future, their love connection. I didn't, I was not invested. Yes. Fully agree. I have one major problem of this movie, which was that they set up this love story, and this is not a spoiler, it's at the beginning of the movie, where this woman is 25 years old, and there is a young man, a boy, 15 years old, and there is a will-they-won't-they story for this whole film that's the film and my biggest issue is that I could just never get behind what she saw in him why she would ever be into this person or uh hang out with this person and it's almost like the movie didn't want me to believe it either because she's dating so many other men that Mm -hmm. are her age older way more attractive you know, way more there in life. And she even thinks it's weird herself. And when she brings it up to her sister, her sister's like, yeah, it's weird. You shouldn't be doing it. So I just could never buy the two. And since I couldn't buy the two, that was, I mean, that was the whole movie. There's nothing else. So I didn't feel anything. Yeah. I feel like we were sort of supposed to believe that like Elena that's her name, right? The character's name? Oh, Alana name? or Elena? Ooh, maybe... Al- I don't know. Maybe it is Alana. Okay. 
Anyway, I feel like we were supposed to believe that that character was sort of like didn't have any direction in life and was not confident and sort of downtrodden and like the ugly duckling of the sisters because she had two other sisters, which yeah. they were a whole family. I liked that he cast her actual the, sisters. Yeah. That was amazing. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. And that was their parents too. <gasps> I didn't know that. Yeah. I, well, I mean, they all have the same last name. I just saw it like on the, on the credits. Oh my God. Yeah, I thought that was cute. Um, but I feel like, yeah, I feel like we were suppo- we were sort of supposed to be made to believe that she w- was not going to succeed in life or in love in any way without this 15-year-old kid. Like coming in and being like, you can chase your dreams. Right. <laughs> Which, like, he was confident and he had game, so to speak. But I just... Even Alana's character, I got everything you were just telling me. I got all of those vibes, but at the same time, I just didn't, I couldn't connect with her. I couldn't find a way to care about her. She even made me laugh at times, like when she's fighting with her family. She's fighting with her dad, but then she like looks over and her sister's watching the fight. And she's like, stop looking at me. You're always looking at me. And then she like chases the sister around the house and like turns her anger on her. I was like cracking up at all that. And she seemed to have a lot of personality at the very beginning, but wherever where it went i just like couldn't really believe her as a single character like she didn't all of the parts did not connect for me yeah and then and then at the end or like towards the third act we get this is also not really a spoiler um but her and the the kid valentine they go into business together Mm -hmm. and they have a, a a waterbed business. <laughs> a water a waterbed business. Yeah. And t- during that whole scene of like the grand opening of their their store and just kind of the way that he is treating her, and then it's like a switch went off in her mind, and she's like, "Oh, he no longer wants me." Yeah. Now I want him. And that was just, that was like very, I don't know. It was sort of insulting because it's like, come on, chick. Like you're on the up and up. Like yeah. you do not need the affection or attention of a 15 year old. <laughs> yes. And it, that scene was really hard to watch actually when she's like in her <laughs> bikini watching him on the bed. Uh, and I know that's probably intentional, but like, it makes the end when they're when they get together so unsatisfying because I'm like I don't endorse this. Yeah. Also, like the, the film thinks that it can just show us the two of them cinematically running towards each other in three different scenes, and I'm gonna like equate that to them actually loving each other or being right for each other. Also, that last one when they're running at each other and they cut to like the first time they did that, and I'm like, wow, movie, I got that. You didn't have to show me. It was like an anime flashback. Yeah, I, yes. (laughs) And then, too, like, she, in towards the third act, or I guess in the third act, she gets a job at some, like, she's... A politics, a politician's office. Yeah, he's, like, running for mayor or something. And um, there's this really cute guy who she went to school with, who they work together, and he's hitting on her hardcore. Like they have, they are vibing. Yeah. I can feel their attention. Me too. 
and she's sort of like a little bit into him she's also sort of into the the mayor guy and it just like sis what do you why do you keep going like you have a job like you have a fulfilling job now that you are passionate about and you know she's talking about like she says things like i'm making a difference and she's like working towards this career that she wants and then yeah at the end of the movie she it, is running towards Valentine for no reason. Like she was gonna go meet the other guy, and he was so cute and age appropriate. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> imagine you just bringing up that like po- politician moment. It's like, think about all the shit that happens in this movie. There's like the politician scene. She's trying to become an actress. They go to Bradley Cooper's house to set up a waterbed, and like. I feel like the movie sets up or one of the first earliest ones is like when he gets arrested and every oh, time yeah. this happened in the movie, I'm like, Oh shit. We're finally into what this movie is going to be about. Like what the plot of the movie is. And then what, Oh, that had zero consequences moving on. Next thing. Oh, the Bradley Cooper thing. I'm like, okay, this is where he's going to come back in the third act and ruin their whole lives or something. Nope. Oop. That had no consequences. Move on to the next moment. And I mean, I know, I think that was his intention to just make people hanging out together, but it just, I I don't prefer that. That's just not my taste. You know, nor is it really mine. The runtime on this movie was painful. I've, I felt myself like, had I been wearing a watch, I would have looked at it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, but there were, I mean, there was some, like, there was definitely some humor. I found myself laughing at it a couple of times. But ultimately, yeah, the plot is that in order to be valuable, a woman has to have the affection and attention of a man. Yeah. And that quote-unquote man is actually a 15 year old kid so now i feel weird about it <laughs> even weirder right about it. yeah right it's a movie about a predator <laughs> yeah like i'm i'm really i'm not sure and i've tried to think about like what maybe the purpose of this movie was like why he wrote this like why he made this movie and it just i'm i'm at a loss the only thing I can think of is that he was that boy. I guess. Which would make it worse, but. That would make it Imagine worse. pitching this, like, and not no. being Paul Thomas, Thomas Anderson, being like, all right, so this 25-year-old woman, she <laughs> loves this 15-year-old boy. And they're like, okay, tell me more. And he's like, oh, well, that's kind of it. They're that's like, well, it. what? Well, what happens? And he's like, well, the boy gets arrested. And they're like, oh. And then he is, is like immediately let go, like because they arrested the wrong guy. Oh, okay. Immediately, <laughs> immediately. And then she chased him so cinematically, chased him through California for what? This sounds like this movie was not for either of us. Are you ready to score it? I have one final thought. Okay. I love an LA movie. I love an LA movie. I love a movie where a city plays a part in it. I like a New York movie 
I love an LA movie and I feel like they captured, and we'll talk about this later in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I feel like they ca they sort of captured, at least in essence, what Hollywood was like mm -hmm. in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. And I think I think that's fun. I really, I like, I like that. It that is was, fun. That was kind of one of the only redeeming things for me, honestly, was just like seeing the city. What's fun is also that my mom grew up in Simi Valley, which is like right, you know, around the corner. Mm -hmm. And she would have been like 18 years old at this point. So she would have been like in the thick of it, which is fun to think about. That is fun to think about. I was about. thinking about my mom for all of these movies because of that. Well, I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm ready, ready to score it. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's... It's probably... It's going to be like a four or a five for me. Mm, I'm going to go with four. I'm going to say... I was going to say four as well, actually. Which seems really harsh. I thought people liked this movie. I don't know what people on film Twitter have been saying, but... I don't know. Movie Maven score, 4 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, if you all liked it. Ugh. Yeah. Also, But I am interested to know what you liked about it. Write in. Hit us up. Yeah, same. Uh, let's talk about another Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Let's talk about Boogie Nights. Would you hit me with some facts? Yes. Boogie Nights came out in 1997. It was also written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson when he was 26 years old. Time to feel bad about it ourselves, everyone. It's starring Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, Burt Reynolds, John C. Riley, Don Cheadle, and William H. Macy. It has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and here is the description from IMDb. Back when sex was safe, pleasure was a business, and business was booming, an idealistic porn producer aspires to elevate his craft to an art when he discovers a hot young talent. Isn't it weird that that description is about Burt Reynolds' character and not Mark Wahlberg's? That is really weird. Yeah, honestly, I did not like that description at all. I know, me neither. It sounded like the character of Burt Reynolds wrote it. <laughs> yeah, sincerely. I uh, had you see had you seen this movie before? I had never seen it. I thought it was the movie with John Travolta. Oh. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> I thought that's what I was about to get into. <laughs> and I had no clue that this was like Mark Wahlberg's like claim to fame. I had no clue that it would be about his dick or porn or any of that. So surprise. Surprise. Yeah. This was a lot of fun of all the movies. This one is probably my favorite and it has the most plot. It's kind of funny to me that it's like a, it plays out like a biopic biopic movie. Is that the word? Um, yeah. You know, like a, a big, long-ass film about a real person. It shows their how they became famous. It shows how they lost the fame, blah, blah, blah. Except it's not about a real person. It's about a made-up porn star. Right? Or is it a true story? Mm -hmm. No, I'm there's no way. It's too funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, this was also my favorite of the three. Oh, nice. 
it was so much fun to watch. This is my note, though, on all three of these movies that we watched. Dear God, the runtime. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> we've taken a part-time job here. <laughs> I could not catch a fucking break. Every evening, I'm strapped in. Yeah, I, I really loved how this movie unfolded. I, it was really great storytelling. It was great pacing. It was easy to watch. It was fun to to. Uh, sort of dive in it gave me like very much uh, god what is that movie goodfellas vibes like whenever they start doing too much too many drugs and then like in the third act there's this bell like a it it was like a very ominous sounding bell that kind of rang through like 20 minutes i'm gonna say and it was just it like heightened suspense and then we get some fights like some violence action it was it was tight (laughs) it was tight like you brought up the tension just then and this movie had more tension and all of the tension from seemingly the other two movies we watched not only that but every character that is like sort of introduced as being a main player has like their own whole film within this film mm-hmm. like William H Macy's <laughs> short but uh intense plot line like his the climax of his story at the new year's party could have been the climax of its own film and i thought the mm-hmm. lead up and the tension running into that new year's party was so high it was well way higher and way more put together than the climax of once upon a time in hollywood where yes. like we know something bad's about to happen but we're not sure what like it was way better than that then there's the one of my favorite moments is uh the don Cheadle like donut shop scene that is a short film in yes. and of itself i said the same in thing. and of itself yes i would like give everything to make a short film as good as that one scene in this movie about a side character could have been cut completely but it it was amazing not only that but the the lead up to that scene it what happens is this one long take of this street in hollywood where Mark Wahlberg is like being driven away by this guy who he's like soliciting sex to or the guy's soliciting sex to Mark Wahlberg. Correct. And then, yes. then the camera pans back and we're following another car for a long time. I'm like, what's that? And inside that car is Burt Reynolds and one of his like uh, porn stars. And they're starting a new show. That's also hilarious. And then the camera pans back and to a car that's parked and it's Don Cheadle with his girlfriend. And he's about to go into this donut shop. And that was all one take. And I'm like, once upon a time in Hollywood could never. They want to inter interconnect all these stories, but they just like don't even have the language to do that. And by they, I mean Quentin Tarantino. Him. He's the culprit. <laughs> I, okay. The, the, even Roller Girl. Roller, Roller Girl. Girl. That's who was in the car, yeah. Yes. She she was... We get her whole... Right. Like, not the whole backstory, but we get a backstory on her. We get not only just backstory, we get a beginning and an end. Yes. It comes full circle. Yes. And that scene was so fucking funny when he's, like, trying to come up with a new show that's like pull a guy off the streets and watch him have sex with a with roller girl that was literally the whole premise of the show oh man this movie was wild i think it 
even though it paid all those things off, what felt too long to me was like watching Mark Wahlberg in the middle stages when he, we, he's successful, he's like successful for a little too long. And then when he's struggling, he's struggling for like a little too long. Like when he's just doing a bunch of drugs and stuff. There were some moments though, in both of those stages that I really, really enjoyed. Number one being the whole, the shopping scene. <laughs> when him and John C. Riley and William H. or not William H. Macy, uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, they all go shopping mm-hmm. and then they all buy matching outfits. <laughs> and Mark Wahlberg is like, I'm going to buy these leather shoes. I don't know. It was just like, it was wholesome in, in, like in the middle of a porn movie. <laughs> him and John C. Riley's characters were some of my, character was some of my favorite, like, comedy to watch in this movie and they had like a brotherhood that is also seen in like once upon a time in hollywood just these like kind of uh male friendships that are like very full of love i really enjoyed their chemistry they had a lot of really great chemistry another one of my favorite moments was when they're in the recording studio so after mark Wahlberg kind of fails out of porn him and john c Riley decide that they are going to make a record and so they go they go to record this demo and he is insanely bad it is intense how bad it is but john c Riley is in his corner he's like yeah yeah you're getting it yeah they like are each other's hype men but they're horrible at everything they do uh-huh. But they yeah. will they don't see that for each other. Okay, so in the, <laughs> I have to preface this to the listeners. But this movie, the the start of Mark Wahlberg's like journey in this movie is that he gets like scouted by a porn filmmaker because he has a rumoredly giant dick. And for the rest of the movie, this dick, Mark Wahlberg's dick, is treated like the fucking briefcase from Pulp Fiction he whips it out we never see it but the characters that do see it like always have a shot where they're like in utter awe at how large it is it could be like the woman the women he's like gonna have sex with for the for the porn film it could be the camera guy who's just here to shoot the thing (laughs) no matter who um except unlike pulp fiction we we do get a reveal at the very end of the film I I liked the reveal. I liked the I liked that final moment because we you know like years had passed yeah. since we were first introduced to this golden dick, and it was sort of it was like honestly that felt like a full circle moment too yep, because that's exactly what I was we, gonna say yeah like whenever we first meet this character he's seventeen he's working in a club as like a busboy. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, in the final scene, we see him as, like, he has returned to... He's sort of like the product... Prodig- prodigal... Prod... Prod... Oh, what is that Prodigy? Prodigal? Prodigal? Prodigal son? Uh, is that right? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he has this, like, going home moment where he goes home to Burt Reynolds and Julianne Moore and he's like, look, I want to get my career back together after some pretty horrific, like, drug things. Yeah. Uh, 
and yeah and then we kind of we and then like the reveal is like he's doing this pep talk to himself in the mirror yeah and he's talking to himself he's talking to his dick and then it was just like he undid his pants and and he was like hyping himself up it was it was like it was more precious than like sexy or like salacious which i appreciated yeah but it was also funny and i don't see how it could have ended any other way except i kind of thought it'd be funny if he stood up and he's wearing like a fairly fancy suit with like a vest and a suit jacket and button up shirt and i thought it'd be funny if he just like got up from the makeup chair that he's sitting in and he's like giving himself a pep he has no pants on I thought that was going to be the reveal. I liked I liked so much of this movie. My probably yeah, my one complaint would would be that it was too long. Yeah. Uh I felt like there was some extraneous like the whole plot line. Yes, I thought that so many of the side characters worked obviously, as we've already mentioned. However, there was like a couple of little loose ends that didn't really pay a pay pay off for me. Like the cop, the colonel who like went to jail. Oh yeah, because he was like a pedophile. Yeah, he was soliciting sex from a like a, a minor. Yeah. I didn't quite I wonder if we were given that to kind of it was like a character like we were being shown how much character Burt Reynolds has, you know, that he is going to distance himself from this pedophile. But I, I think, I think it like had to happen so that Burt Reynolds had a fall of from grace as well. Cause that was like the way he got money to make the films, but like why we had to learn about that fall. I'm not too sure. You know, at, and then at the end of the movie, too, we get the guy who owns the club. And we start the movie at the club. Yeah. And we get the guy who owns the club or, like, is the manager there. Him and his brothers open another club. And they're called the Rodriguez whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really sweet. I liked too. it. But it was, like, spelled wrong? Yes. That yeah. Was funny. <laughs> yeah, there... There's so many things, like, if I start thinking about the movie, I remember more of it. And I'm like, oh, that was great. Or, oh, that was great. Like, the, the scene where they're all drugged out and they're trying to bow, they're trying to sell fake cocaine to Alfred, Alfred Molina or Doc Ock from Spider-Man. That whole scene was crazy. Like, I couldn't believe the movie had taken us there. There's just a lot of this movie. And it's very entertaining. Before I give it a score, I want to tell you a story I read after watching this movie. Give it to me. So Mark Wahlberg was interviewed for Daddy's Home 2, like a PR as part of, you know, the PR circle. You know about this. Um, And he was asked about Boogie Nights. And he said, he's like, I really hope that God likes movies. And I really hope that he would uh, forgive me for being in Boogie Nights. And they were like, forgive you? Like, what do you mean? And he's just like, well, like, if I, if I'd be kind of like upset if my kids saw that today. Like, I don't want to take those kinds of movies anymore. He doesn't necessarily regret it, but like, yeah, I don't know. Something about it makes him unhappy. And then (laughs) that whole quote, oh, and the whole article ends. It's like he says that whole thing about like, 
you know, I just hope God forgives me for it, period. And then enter, enter. Daddy's Home 2 will release on January 23rd. <laughs> that was the end of the article. You know, I would I would argue Daddy's Home 2. I'm sorry. I don't even know the premise. It's a, of it's a Christmas home. movie. No. Yeah. And he did two of them. Yeah. Okay, wait. The story, I, there's one more layer to the story. Okay. So then Julianne Moore is on like a late night show or like some talk show. And the host is like, Hey, did you hear what Mark Wahlberg said about boogie nights? She's, and she's like, Oh yeah, I did. And they're like, how do you feel about that? And she's like, you know, if I was Mark Wahlberg, I would thank God for boogie nights because it made his whole career. Arguably his best performance. Yeah, his, like his most artistic role. I went after to look at all the films he's been in, and I'm like, mm, it's really this or the De- or the Departed, which he's like kind of barely in. So, right? Oh yeah, uh, he was in this movie called Deep Water Horizon. Did you ever see that? No. I liked the movie. It was really intense. Um, but yeah, he gave kind of like a flat performance. He's basically he's a very flat actor. Yeah, he's basically now just like in all the Republican movies, movies for Republicans. TM. Yeah. Like the one that's like about like an oil rig worker. That's the one I was just talking about. Oh fuck! Water Horizon. Would you agree that's a movie for Republicans? Yes, one hundred percent. I watched it at a Republican's house. Yeah, or the one where he's like a military guy, like shooting people. I don't know. You know yeah, what I mean. I mean, he's very, he's very flat. I want to attribute his performance in Boogie Nights to the direction of PTA, which yeah. PTA is he's great. It it was a it's a great movie. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna give it. Um, I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. Damn, I'm going to give it an 8. All right, Movie Maven's score for Boogie Nights is a 7.5 out of 10. All right. That feels right. It does feel right. Let's move on to our last film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Annie, would you hit me with some facts? Yes. This movie came out in 2019. It was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. It's starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie. And it has an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Here's a description from IMDb. A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. Okay. Hit me with it. Um, boring <laughs> is the first description. I was so, I was, I was really bored. It, there was so much that just did not need to be in this movie. And I felt like it was really gratuitous. It was made not for me. It was made for Quentin Tarantino himself, <laughs> which is fine. But it's I so just... so true. Okay. I, I talk about movies a lot in conversation. You know, obviously, like, I like... Obviously, I like movies. I like pop culture. And I cannot tell you, Annie, it's countless, countless times this movie has been recommended to me. And people say, oh, yeah, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. You're going to love it. 
what about me gives off the vibe that this is a movie that I would enjoy. They're just like, oh, you like movies, therefore you like Quentin Tarantino. Therefore, you like the only movie I've seen by him, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was, uh, to put it lightly, it's not his best work. Oh. Uh, let me tell you my favorite part. Of the whole film? Yes. Okay. Brad Pitt. Ooh. Dear God, he looks so good. He looks so good in the whole, from the moment we see him to the moment he exits the screen, he looks so good. Would you say that he is showing his age here? Yes, but in like the sexiest way possible. Fully agreed, yeah. Well, like his face looks old, but his body is like that of a 17-year-old still. Like prime of his life. Sincerely. (laughs) I don't know how he did it. There were a lot of strings to follow here. There was a lot going on. A lot going on. But at the same time, nothing Nothing. going on that attributed to the climax of the film. How interesting. No. mm -mm. It was, again, like I said, it was very gratuitous. It was very, it, it, it gave a lot to itself. And very little to me. It felt like someone that loves Tarantino tries to make a Tarantino film, but doesn't know <laughs> like what it is about Tarantino films that are good. Except Tarantino made the film. It's like <laughs> give it up, dude. And it was at a whopping two hours and forty-one minutes. And ugh, there's so much of this movie that literally has no effect on the the end of the film. But even the dialogue is like his worst. It's so, it's so, it's sloppy. It's boring. It doesn't, there's not a hell of a whole lot of character development. No. And it's, yeah. Like in, in Kill Bill, the dialogue, I could tell he's trying his damnedest on every single line. But this was just so bland. Did you say the budget in the facts? No, I don't know the budget. Outlandish, I'm sure. Yeah, something ridiculous. And you bring up the gratuity. There's a lot of gratuity here for like a number of different reasons. The scene where the girl that's called Pussycat puts her feet up on the windshield and... Ew, I hated that. It was like a parody of itself. Like Tarantino is a parody of himself at this point with those feet shots. I absolutely hated that. Was I was disgusted. And she just never wears shoes, so she knows she's just like on them LA streets completely barefoot. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I really did enjoy LA as a character. Yeah. I, I loved all of the shots of Hollywood Boulevard. I loved all of the shots of like the neon lights. I loved... Um, We got so many different shots of, like, different theaters, which I really loved and appreciated. And restaurants. Yes. So I've been to one of those restaurants. Which one? To Muso and Frank's. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How is it? uh, Old. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right. That checks out. I really wanted a story. I was really looking forward to... The Once Upon a Time. Thank you. It's like, let's advertise this as a story. Oh, just kidding. Right. Where? Where? Where's? <laughs> there There was 
I just love like as if this is a quote on the back of a DVD. It's just like I was really looking forward to the Once Upon a Time, Carson Green, comma movie mavens. Where is the Once Upon a Time? Where is it? Okay. You know, like, I, I would argue, I would argue that the height of the movie, that the climax of the movie, the meat of the movie happened when we were being told the story of Rick and Cliff's breakup, which was oddly suddenly narrated by Kurt Russell, not Burt Reynolds this time. <laughs> okay, there was a narration at the very beginning of the film by Kurt Russell, and then a narration at the, the three-quarter mark of the film. Why? And that's where I know I'm like, dude, you've lost your fucking touch because you don't even know how to introduce scenes anymore. You like have to have a narrator do it for you when you fail at it. And also, like Kurt Russell had a role in the movie. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then, like Brad Pitt allegedly murdered his wife. Like, why are we? Huh? <laughs> and then, <sighs> comparing this to Pulp Fiction, like. In Pulp Fiction, the scenes, like, we don't know how the scenes are going to add up. We're kind of just watching scenes for scene's sake. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Until the end. Mm -hmm. And even that is, like, way more compelling than this. Sincerely, we probably watched 45 minutes of Leonardo DiCaprio on set acting. Yeah. Acting as an actor. You know, what's interesting about that is the first time I saw this, I enjoyed that. And I thought his performance was great. And it, it still holds up. But watching this the second time, because I know that none of this adds up to anything, I am so fucking bored. Right? It's boring. And, okay, again on the gratuitous thing he's trying Quentin Tarantino is trying to do what he did with Inglourious Bastards here he's like I'm gonna take a, a bad event and put my twist on it to like enact some fake form of justice so I'm gonna like shoot Hitler's face until it's like nothing but liquid on screen as it's like blowing up and everyone's gonna love it and in this movie he's like I'm gonna take the killer of Sharon Tate and like smash her face a thousand times against 40 different objects in a house that felt gratuitous to me did you think that and i feel bad saying that but mm -hmm. it just fell over the line yes yeah uh, to touch on the inglorious bastards bit yeah i really did enjoy the moment where we were watching it was like a movie within of leonardo DiCaprio on a balcony and then he gets a flamethrower and then just like scorched a bunch of Nazis. I liked that scene. Yeah. <laughs> did did it feel gratuitous, like the violence at the end? Or did you feel like yeah. it was justified because like, oh well they killed Sharon Tate in real life, so No, it just it didn't fit. It was like it came out of left field, you know? Where where okay, let's let let me compare to Boogie Nights where we get so in the in the one of the final scenes when Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley go and try and sell fake coke and then suddenly there's a shootout, it's like that violence was set up across, you know, several scenes 
And that did not feel gratuitous because it was like a they worked themselves into that situation where this this violence, whenever we first meet like Charles what's his name? Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. That's whenever we first meet like those cult people, there's not any violence. I mean, aside from Brad Pitt beating the shit out of some other guy, those like there we did that was not set up in any yeah. way. It's just messy to begin with, right? Because like Charles Manson is like the big big bad guy, but like we see him once and instead we just fight these people we just fight these people that just like target them seemingly randomly for no good reason except for the viewer to be like oh haha they're not they didn't go to her house they went to the neighbor's house instead that's the story now like just none of that was satisfying but i also have an embarrassing story (laughs) about the circumstances under which i saw this movie for the first time this is so my fault and this is not peppering my view of the film at all by this point because i've seen it twice now but I'm a big true crime junkie. I mean, I'm not a huge, I don't spend like hours dedicating to listening to podcasts all the time, but I can like get in on some true crime shit. Okay. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I don't want a spoiler for a movie that I'm very much looking forward to. And I used to love Quentin Tarantino and I still love his previous films. So I didn't want to be spoiled about anything for this film. And I knew it had something to do with Charles Manson. Manson. (laughs) And, but I didn't really know the whole details of anything to do with Charles Manson. I really didn't know anything. So I decided I'm going to stay away from all the podcasts and all the articles that tell me what happened with Charles Manson. And I'm going to let the film teach me so that even real life events are twists and turns for me. Oh boy. You see where this is going? Uh Uh-huh. So, the film happens as it happens. And at the end, I'm like, well, what the fuck was that all about? Why the hell was, why the hell did any of that happen? (laughs) So it just basically made no sense to me. And I was like, I was like, can someone explain this to me? Why did we watch Margot Robbie in a movie theater for half of this film? I still don't really know the answer to that, except that she needs to be at the end of the movie. None of it adds up, Carson. Let me just say, I really did enjoy seeing Emil Hirsch cast. I, I really, really like him as an actor. And I feel like he had a couple of really good years, like in the aughts, and then like kind of fell off. And so I, I whenever I saw him cast in this movie, I was like, fuck yeah. Go and what do, you, what do you like him for, from for? Well, he was in this movie, Alpha Dog. Did you ever see that? No, I never did. Yeah, that was in 2007 or 2008. I really like that movie. I recommend it. It's got uh, Anton Yelchin and Justin Timberlake and a couple of other people. And then he was also in Into the Wild. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was in... That was also like 2007, 2008. And then in 2005, he was in Girl Next Door. I've never seen any of these, that? but I've heard of them. Oh. Well, I, I like all those movies. And then he also was in Speed Racer, which I didn't mind, but it was ripped to shreds. And <laughs> Now there's a that's... cult following for that film, though. Yeah, because it's it was quirky. <laughs> and that's enough. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I I enjoy I liked seeing him cast Margot Robbie, beautiful as ever. She's so stunning, honestly. Like she is captivating. Yeah. When she was on screen, my eyes were fixated. But if this were to operate like as a real movie, <laughs> it would be like, why? Why was she in this film? <laughs> Am I right? Like, okay, in Inglorious Bastards, if you didn't, if you replaced Nazis with a fake made-up army, and you replaced like the U.S. soldiers and like everyone else with a fake made-up army on a fake planet, everything would make a lot of sense. It wouldn't be as impactful, but it would make some sense. This film would make a lot less sense than that. And there was hardly any tension to me. I don't know. Like the the scene on the ranch had some tension. I would say even more than at the end. You know what, though? It was like manufactured. It was. Like it was so. Okay, so there is this shot. This is something I noticed. There's this shot in Boogie Nights where it's sort of like a light switch goes off in Mark Wahlberg's head and we get a Dutch angle. And it's like, it was like a very intentional, like harsh Dutch angle because we're seeing like villain mode activated. And then on the ranch, we get another, we get a Dutch angle, a couple of Dutch angles that's meant to sort of emulate the same thing. Like something bad's happening. Yeah, shit's about to go down, and then nothing happens. Yeah, nothing happened. Yeah, we we were given this like filmmaker tension. Yeah, but we there was no real. Imagine if like Tex had been the one to cut his tires, and like maybe Brad Pitt barely escapes, and so when Tex shows up later, Brad Pitt's like, "Oh, I'm gonna beat your ass now." That would have been a little, little, beginning a little end for you, you know? Also, like, if I smoked an entire acid cigarette, I would not. There's no way in, there is no way in hell that I would be fighting these people with my bare hands. I wouldn't even know where my hands were. (laughs) The fact that he, like, grabs the acid cigarette and he's like, oh, I remember you. And then we cut back to when we, when he's like, hey, I'll have an acid cigarette. There's like another anime flashback. Like Tarantino, we fucking get it. You colored the cigarette yellow. We don't need to even, we don't need to see the flashback and we don't need to hear Brad Pitt be like, I remember this one. That's different. And for what? For nothing. He could still fight just as well. There was no consequences. Why was the cigarette even there? And we got that flashback twice, two times. It was all pointless. It was all pointless, Annie. It was all pointless. And honestly, I feel like finally I've gotten it. I've, I, this is behind me now. Yeah. I can finally, whenever people say, oh, have you seen this movie? I'll say yes, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yes, and, and shut the fuck up opinion. about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well, mm-hmm. sounds like it didn't do it for us. Yeah, damn, we ha- we agreed on all three of these movies. Yeah, we sure did. I am ready to score it if you are, but I also want to say that uh, I had never heard of this pussycat actress before, so I'm looking her up. First fucking picture is her and Pete Davidson. <laughs> oh, no. He's saying it 
Oh, like people I've never heard of. He's seen everyone. He's dated everybody. What's her name? What else is she in? I recognize her. Uh, it was like one other thing, but not not really much. I knew she mm-hmm. was going to be the main character when they introduced the hippies because she was the skinniest one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, also, Leo is showing some age. He does not look good. He did not look good in this movie. Yeah, there's like a few shots. I was like, he looks a little handsome there, but overall, nah. Mm-mm. And then he was like really pathetic, too. Yeah, even as a character study, though, of Leo, I thought it didn't really work because it, the story, like, for him ended in Italy. <laughs> right. Which was a montage for us. Like, right. Eh. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give this movie a five out of 10. So I like this more than licorice pizza. Damn. What about you? Let me tell you, this is because it is garishly long. Mm -hmm. It's, I cannot even begin to express to you how much I fucking hate this runtime. I hate it. If you asked me to do anything, even things I enjoyed for two hours and 45 minutes, I would really have to ponder it. For that reason alone. It's a three out of ten for me. Okay, so I will ne- I will never watch it again. I will say that it's more memorable to me than Licorice Pizza. That's why I give it another star because I'll think about it every now and then. And it looked cooler. Okay, movie made its score for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a four out of ten. Licorice Pizza four out of ten. Boogie Nights seven and a half out of ten. All right, folks, that's our show. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Spotify, which I know you're listening to this podcast on Spotify anyway, just go ahead and drop us five stars. That would mean the world. And if you want a free sticker, you know what? Actually, I'll send you a sticker even for this the Spotify rating. Send me a screenshot of the five stars. Or, and or, you know what? How about in addition to, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And send me a screenshot and I'll send you a sticker. You can follow us on Instagram at Movie Mavens. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Movie Mavens Pod. If you want to write us an email, which you can. uh, Shoot us an email at moviemavenspodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Movie Mavens out. Bye.